Welcome to the Crave Magazine Podcast, feeding your soul with art. Follow your passion and the universe brings more and more gifts into your life. Find your right path and your passion and go for it. If you're worried about getting it perfect every single time, you're not going to do anything. You have to find something within yourself and that you want to express. Don't ever say can't. The word can't is not in your vocabulary, ever. Okay, I'm here today with Reed Silverman. He is the founder of Ink Monster Graphic Design and Printing, which he started in 2004. Originally, Reed grew up in Long Island uh, and worked on Wall Street, but he moved in 1999 to Vail from Brooklyn to snowboard more, to engage in the mountain lifestyle, to become more of a less money-driven person and probably a more centered person. And so, Reed, I really appreciate you taking the time, and, and welcome to the show, Yeah, my thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So I, I like to start off the interview with an inspiration, something that inspires you. Sure. Um, being an arts podcast, it often gears towards the arts, but it doesn't have to. So and it can be a quote, a book, a movie, a person, anything that inspires you. What do you got? Oh, what inspires me? Everything inspires me. That's a a weak answer. It's a weak answer, (laughs) but it's true. I mean, you got to look for inspiration these days everywhere you can. I mean, seems like everything's been done, been there, done that type situations. So when you say everything... I, I would say, I mean, everything, my environment inspires me, you know, from where I grew up to the people I interact with to other artists, you know, people... Uh, on all walks of life. I would say I, <clears throat> where I get my biggest inspiration from is traveling the world. Okay. Where I see, uh, you know, when I get outside of America and I see, I go to, I'm a surfer. Okay. So I go to all these different places around the world to surf. And I see architecture. I'm inspired by different cultures, architecture, their, their personalities, their religions, their cultures what's important to them. So I, I think if I can just pin it down to one thing, I mean, you know, because you said that was a weak answer, but uh, I would I'll put say... put you the calls right away, Yeah, man. I would say, you know, when I travel, seeing other cultures' artwork and architecture is... is and just the way they live their lifestyle yeah, and sure. what's really important to them is different than what is really important to our society. Yeah, you know, absolutely. We, we put value on things that most, you know, the rest of the world doesn't really put a value on. It's yeah. not as important, you know. We're, we're more of a materialistic, superficial type of culture. Right. And um, it just opened my eyes to a, a, a lot of different things. Traveling opened your eyes? Traveling, yeah. yeah. I agree with you totally mm-hmm. on that. You talk about surfing. Where, where has been your... Number one spot to surf oh, so thus far. Uh, I've been to Bali four times. Uh, you know, it's it's a magical place. Anybody who's been there knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's it's just one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, I just got back from Costa Rica. That's an amazing place to surf. Uh, people are great. Uh, they're very eco friendly and environmentally conscious. They are in Costa Rica. Oh man, it's it's awesome. What a clean place. Barbados was an amazing place to surf. You know, of course, Hawaii, it's great, but it's it's very touristy. Yeah. Um, if I can pick one, I would say, you know, Bali is my, my place. Where in yeah. Bali? Where did you surf? Uh, Uluwatu okay. is uh, just, you know, all the awesome breaks. There's about uh, 10 different breaks over there within a few miles that are world class. It's great. 
Yeah, this is an arts podcast, so we won't get too much into travel. <laughs> but I, uh, my wife and I came back from Bali about two months ago, and just I feel exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, man. it's cool. totally different experience. It's awesome. I should be there right now, but uh, <laughs> fortunately, there's some volcanic activity yeah. going on. Yes, there is. Well, I'm glad you're here. So, and I mentioned a little bit in the intro, and we talked a little bit before we started recording yeah. about uh, your life as a stockbroker. Yeah. What I like to do is go back. Will you tell us your story of how you ended up in Colorado and also how you ended up starting Ink Monster? Yeah, well, you know, I grew up uh, on Long Island, and my family didn't have a lot of resources, broken home, single parent, uh, my dad working multiple jobs jobs to put my sister through college. My brother and I always had to work starting at an early age, so we always had a really strong work ethic. We had to work for what we wanted. My parents, even though they, they wanted to and they loved us and they took care of us, couldn't really provide the things we needed and wanted. So, um, you know, we had to go to work early. And uh, that just instilled this motivation in me to go after the things I wanted. I was very money-oriented okay. for obvious reasons. Because you didn't have a lot Because we up. didn't have a lot. And, sure. you know, we lived in some neighborhoods where everybody else had a lot of things. And I, you know, saw what my friends had. And, you know, I always wanted what they had. So, right, right. you know, my main goal in life was to make a lot of money. That was it. I could care less what I had to do to, okay. to make that money. Okay. So long story short, I got a job on Wall Street. Got my Series 7 license. I uh, was able to sell equities. I day traded some foreign currency. And, you know, it was a grind. It was one of the toughest jobs I've ever had, even to date. And would you say I was really good at it. Would you say it's more? it was tougher than owning Ink Monster? It was different. This presents a whole other set of challenges <laughs> and opportunities, but yeah. it was different. More so because the clients we worked with were, you know, really high net worth individuals. Sure. You know, the, the game back then was, you know, think Wolf of Wall Street type yeah, situation. Yeah. So not really, Make you know, what, at, all costs. at all costs. And <clears throat> what that did, you know, all, back then my personality was different. All my faults were virtues in that game. That, that's what made me a good stockbroker. And uh, what it did after four years of doing that, it, it completely changed my personality, you know, made me want to be a different person. I, did, I looked in the mirror and I didn't like what I saw. I looked wow. around the boardroom. You know, I'm working with a hundred brokers and, um, you know, if that's me in five years, if that's me in 10 years, you know, I didn't really like what I saw. Sure. So sure. I literally quit my job, handed my book over to my boss, which was my stepbrother at the time. He owned the firm. <laughs> that's how the opportunity came about to begin with. And, um, I bought a one-way ticket to Colorado. I was a snowboarder since I was 12, so back before snowboarding was even allowed on most <laughs> mountains in the country, yeah. you know. And I heard that if you want to pursue snowboarding full-time, you should move to Colorado. It's the best in the country. Never been here before, had no friends, no family, no job, no place to live. Packed a bag, bought a one-way ticket, and came out here and figured, you know, if I'm going to change my life, I got to you know, make a huge step. That's a huge, drastic, huge, change, yeah. drastic, <laughs> ridiculous, crazy step. My, my family thought I was nuts. Uh, nobody supported my decision. Nobody. No one supported my you. Father, my father was the only one who said, hey, if this is going to make you happy, you got my support. But nobody else was on board. Isn't, isn't that interesting <laughs> that the, the people that are usually closest to us are the ones who hold us back the most often? Well, you know, they, they love me. They care about me. They want what's best. So what's they obviously, best. yeah, what's best, what they think is best. They wanted me to continue, you know, working on Wall Street and, you know, they saw dollar signs. That's all my family cared about. Right. So 
Yeah, I, I just took that leap of faith and figured, hey, what's the worst that can happen? Right. I can I move back home if it doesn't work out. Right. You fail and you fail. Go back. You know, home. at least I gave it my best shot. You can always be a stockbroker again. Can always be a stockbroker <laughs> again or anything else I want to do. Right. That's a. So. I, I just want to pause for a second and on that comment because I think especially in today's society, that's a leap that a lot of people want to do but are afraid to do. They, especially, I think the older you get, you get locked into a career and then you get a family and then all of a sudden... That was the thing. You're now chasing the things that you purchased. You're now working to support the lifestyle that you wanted to have that Agreed. you actually can't support. That, that was one of my motivations was I'm 24. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I don't have debt. I don't have anything holding me back from doing this. And I think... One of the biggest mistakes people make in life is letting their fear stop them from doing what they want to do. I love the that. The fear of failure stops them from being successful. There's a there's an interesting book that you may have read. I don't know, being a Wall Street guy, the Dondo Investor. Um, I have not. It's a it's a book uh, written by. Um, gosh, I can't think of his name right now. But he he talks. It's basically the Warren Buffett style investing. But he tells this. He tells the story of this Patel family that came here from India, and they had like nine thousand dollars, and they put it all. They bought a CD rundown motel, and they they figured they would live in the motel, and they their whole family would work in the motel, housekeeping and cooking and all that kind of whatever, like taking care of the entire motel. And I guess Mr. Patel figured that what did he have to lose? He's got nine thousand bucks. If he loses the nine thousand bucks, they can always work at a, wherever they have to to save that money up again but they kind of went all in and now the Patel family is one of the largest uh, hotel owners in the United States which I didn't know this until mm. I read this um, but yeah he kind of the, the attitude of I'm going all in and I have nothing else to lose except for money and I can always gain that back and it sounds like that's sort of what you did you said now's a good time let's make the journey yeah and um, you know it was the best decision I ever made in life because I, I decided that from this point on, I will never do work, whether that's for myself or anybody else, for the money. Yeah. It would always be about for the love, the passion, because it was something that I wanted to do. And I figured if, and, and I'm just a maniac when it comes to work ethic. I don't know what drives me and why and, and how this is ingrained into my DNA, but uh, I'm relentless. Yeah. And I was relentless working for other people and making them a lot of money. And I figured if I even work half as hard for myself or half as hard, you know, doing the things that I love, you know, don't worry about the money part. That'll come. Right. You know, right. you're just enjoying what you're doing. So and, and we live in a day and age where you can literally do whatever you want and be successful. Yeah. There's yeah. so many outlets. Whatever. Pick what you love. And go for it. You can make a business out of it. You know, it's it's actually pretty simple. Well, we're sitting here in a studio at Ink Monster, and so you came out here as a, to snowboard. And yeah. You had mentioned before we went live that you wanted to be a snowboard instructor. Yeah. Whether or not you, I want to know about that because yeah. that you're obviously not doing that now. You're running this. Actually, I am. <laughs> okay. In, in my quote unquote free time. Talk talk about that a little bit. Um, well, I figured that was the path of least resistance to come out here. I already was a what I thought was a, a good snowboarder, <laughs> and then I came out here where everybody's good, right. and I'm like, man, I'm not that good. But I did. I figured that was the path of least resistance. I got a job as an instructor, which is the reason I wouldn't be sitting here today, the owner of Ink Monster, if it wasn't for for pursuing my dream of being a snowboarder. You know, I was never pro. I had some sponsors. Um, 
you know, the instructing life gave me the, the proper training. It allowed me to advance my skills, be on the hill every day. My second year in, I got a job at Wendell's Snowboard Camp in Oregon as a coach. Uh, so I was coaching there for 10 summers. I would be wow. here coaching in Vail. Uh, then I proceeded to coach the Aspen High School team. Then I went on to coach the CU Boulder wow. uh, competition team. But every summer I'd go back to Mount Hood and work at Wendell's. I spent three summers as a head coach there. Okay. So just developing my career. I only actually instructed for two seasons, but I had a 10-year professional coaching career with sure. teams. Sure. Uh, so that was really, really great. And Are you still coaching or giving lessons of any kind? Uh, I actually do part-time private lesson instructing in Vail. Now, okay. for the past two seasons, they they recruited me back to be there, like, you know, one of their like advanced <laughs> coaches, whatever. It's great. I love it. I love it there. It fits um, into your schedule, it's probably. Yeah, I have to make part. time. You know, as as I'm maturing, as the business is growing and getting bigger and bigger, if I don't have balance in life and make time to do other things besides work, you know, it it's it's not healthy. Yeah. So I have to force myself, and that's one of the things that is one of my outlets. To supplement, oh, sorry, to, to supplement my income as a snowboarder, we, I, mean, I made money, but I wasn't saving any money. And when you, I was, I was going to ask, were you like you moved to Vail, coming from Wall Street, you had some money, obviously. Eh, but did I you lived have, a pretty extravagant lifestyle when I was okay. a stockbroker. I pretty much spent every dime. <laughs> you were one of those like, woohoo, let's party all the time. Again, reference over Wall hard. Street, you know, clothes dinners, traveling, like, you know, living in Manhattan, hanging out in the Hamptons. Like, we spent it as fast as we made it. So when you moved here, did you live in an apartment with, like, five other people? Yeah, oh, yeah. The typical ski bum, snowboard bum. I had, like, eight roommates in a house. You know, we had this legendary house on Matterhorn in in Vail, and uh, it was great. It was great. Um, So then moving into, you started to talk about how the Ink Monster came about. Yeah, that was through Wendell Snowboard Camp. A lot of people, a lot of businesses got seated at Wendell Snowboard Camp. Really? And it's just the, I guess, our type A action sports, you know, snowboarding personalities. Uh, we're adventurous. We're, we're risk takers. You know, we, we lay it all out on the table, sure, right? So sure, absolutely. It was just a good outlet. In, and um, so the camp had lots of sponsors, and they're they're doing vinyl wraps and graphics on all their vans and, and you know, cabins and all over camp right so you know they needed help creating these graphics so that's where I learned how to do it and I, I started doing it that I learned there and I what like, is that graphic design or, or? Uh, that was mostly just learning how to manufacture vinyl graphics okay. and apply them okay I, I had zero graphic design skills I really I really had a love for art and an appreciation for artists, no matter what their medium was, because that wasn't one of my talents. Sure. And sure. I envied artists greatly because <laughs> of how I'm like, man, it just blew my mind how they can create something out of nothing like yeah. that, no matter what that medium was. Yeah. So it allowed me, who was a business guy and a sports guy, to start flexing my creative muscles a little bit. And um, after one summer of doing the camp graphics that next winter I got offered the coaching position for the Aspen High School team I flew back to New York I accepted the job and then I flew back to New York uh, I knew I couldn't afford to live in Aspen I mean, right. it's crazy right. expensive <laughs> right. so uh, I had this idea to buy a van convert it live in it 
which is highly frowned upon in Aspen. Is <laughs> <laughs> this guy living out of his car? Right. Is this guy, what? Who allowed this? Uh, <laughs> so had to fly under the radar, converted it, drove it back out to Aspen, and with the intention, I'm going to live in my van for a year, work my coaching job. I had two other jobs. I think I worked at the Aspen Spot. I worked at the Quicksilver store doing retail and just saved money. And... Uh, Tried to start the business. That was the intention. Save money, get okay. my own equipment, start the business. Some sort of printing business or sticker um, business or vinyl? Well, a kid at camp, he owned a vinyl cutter. Okay. He was going off to college. He couldn't keep it in his dorm. I made a deal with him. You let me borrow your vinyl cutter while I'm living in my van. And I will. And he, ha- he tried to start his own clothing company and things like that. So I'll make all your stickers for free if, like, as in trade for renting you know, your vinyl cutter to help right. start the business. Right. So that right. kid helped me start my business. Okay. And um, I made all this stuff for free. I started soliciting locals in Aspen to make decals for them, shop decals, things like that. And um, saving my money. Yeah. Every yeah. penny. You know, yeah, working three jobs. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd get off my, my third job at 11 o'clock at night and start doing ink monster orders till four in the morning, have to be back at work at six, wow. you know, coaching again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where did the, like making the stickers, making the graphic for the stickers, did you do that or did you incorporate other people, pull other people in to help design? I could do basic stuff. You know, I everything that I've learned, you know, in this business, I learned through tutorials online, YouTube, you know, on the phone with tech support, uh, you know, just whoever, whatever sure. resource I could find to educate myself, uh, I did. And then, yeah, lots of companies I worked with. Most of these people had designers or in-house, you know, graphic design departments. So all I really had to do was manufacture print and, the, and yeah. print the stuff and put it on and, and install it, the, which what, was a huge learning curve. Well, you spoke to the age of the Internet, which I think is fantastic, is that you said I've learned a lot of the stuff from tutorials online, YouTube and other sources, which I think is yeah. Amazing and speaks to your earlier point of we live in a time and place where you can literally do anything and be successful at it. You just have to learn and take the time, learn those skills. And we're sitting here now, 2017, yeah. and this was back in early 2000s, I think. This it? is 2000, this Three? is 2004. Okay. Yeah. 2004. So we're, we're sitting at more than 10 years later. Yeah, yeah. 13 years. <laughs> 13 now. years later, we're sitting at the fruits of that labor, and it, it's been a long, I mean, 13 years is quite a journey and I want to talk about this further but the reason I bring it up is because you recently were nominated or won right uh, entrepreneur of the year for Colorado yeah that was uh, the SBA 2016 small business person of the year for the state of Colorado so out of 600,000 businesses that was a a great honor to get that award and then they have one for every state nationwide then there's one nationwide winner uh, yeah, I didn't get that, but you know, <laughs> but, but you're some steep you're competition. You're one of fifty, yeah. which is one of fifty. <laughs> so out of you know, a yeah. couple million businesses, wow. nationwide. Yeah. So we, I just want to bring that up because you, I think so often we see the success, but we don't see the the toil that took place. And you're started out in a van. Yeah. You living in a van for how long did you live in that van for? Um, couple years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, couple years in the van and. And then I, I rented an apartment and uh, had a roommate, and that roommate understood that I was turning my living room into a shop, and <laughs> that was the condition. And okay. then, uh, yeah, I had my first shop with a roof over my head, with a door. 
Okay. It was great. Which was, which was your living room, right? <laughs> it, was, it was a living room, yeah. Being an arts podcast, I think a lot of artists have that same thing. Like, in our house, my wife is, a, we're both artists, but my wife has, we've converted one of our rooms into an art studio so that she can practice her art with a roof over her head. Yeah. And I think that's important for a lot of artists. Like, if you can go out and co-op or whatever, that's great because it gives you, puts you around other artists. But even if you're not at that point or you, you just want a space, you can create that space in your own environment whether it's a van or whether it's a small apartment yeah. or, or a home or whatever? Well, it's really about what are you willing to do? Are you willing to do what it takes to get to the next level? Sure. And I find more and more as the years go on, less and less people really understand the level of commitment and sacrifice and hard work and dedication and you know skin in the game yeah that it takes whether you're an artist whether you're an athlete no matter what your passion is it doesn't matter the same rules apply you got to be willing to do it you know no matter what that is yeah for sure and and it's not going to happen overnight it takes time (laughs) it takes time you realize that that stockbroker or wall street was not it was sucking your soul. Soul and sucker. So you decided, like, I'm really passionate about snow. I love snowboarding. Mm-hmm. I'm passionate about snowboarding. Yeah. Why did you, in the five or years, four or five years or so that you lived in Colorado as a snowboarder, why did you start to do something else? Like, are you, are you just as passionate about stickers or ink, ink monster? Like I said, I didn't want to do anything for the money. I wanted to do it because I enjoyed doing it. It brought me happiness, right? Right, right. And... I guess, you know, snowboarding is a creative outlet. You know, people may not look at it as being creative, but it's a very creative sport. It's Absolutely. it's all about style and uniqueness and expressing your individuality. And when I started learning how to do graphics, it was another way for me to express my creativity and it just made me happy. Yeah. I just really enjoyed doing it. Everything I touched, everything I did was different. Every person I worked with was different. Every style was different. It, it gave me the opportunity to really work with a lot of cool artists and, and, and learn from them. And I was like, hey, you know, if, if th- this is what I've been looking for. I've been looking for another hobby to turn into a business, another okay. passion, another like something that lets me express myself creatively and make money. Sure. You know, because I know my personality <laughs> is just, you know, how do I make money doing this? That's just the way my brain works. Right, right. You know? Right. So take us through the journey from 2004, starting Ink Monster, living in a van, moving to an, ap- <laughs> moving to an apartment, to now, for anybody who's listening to this who's not been to the Ink Monster offices, they have their own two-story building, and the whole—I don't know if the whole building is wrapped, but at least the entire—the whole front, front facade yeah. is completely wrapped in vinyl, and it is amazing. And it looks when I first, the first time I ever saw it, I was like, "This is friggin' cool! Like, it's really, really cool." Yeah, that has its own story as well. So, say <laughs> we'll have to do that in another podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think take us on a journey of how you got from from a van in Aspen to here, because I think that's that's important. I. How did I get from a van in Aspen to this building we're at now, the journey? <laughs> Again, it, it, it goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, really overcoming obstacles and hurdles and roadblocks, never giving up, 
you know, always be willing to do what it takes and make that your passion. And, um, you know, the sacrifice was tough. And taking it one day at a time, well, you got to give up a lot, you know. The hours you put in, the the struggles you go through, nothing ever goes your way. Nothing ever goes the way you want it to. It never happens in the time frame you want it. Uh, everyone has this idea that I'm going to go through the motions and it's just going to happen. Yeah, yeah. That never happens. <laughs> you know, doesn't work out. It does, just that doesn't way. work out, and you got to expect that. Yeah. And if you don't expect that, you're going to have to be nimble and, you know, switch directions, switch gears, go down a different path, change, you know, change the way you think about things and and learn and grow. It's it's never going to happen. So. You know, we I, uh, I, I was working in Boulder, coaching the CU team, working out of a carriage house in Erie. So now I upgraded to a, a two-bedroom carriage house oh, with nice. a two-car garage. Now I can do my own vehicle wrap installations, turn the whole bottom level of that carriage house into a shop, living quarters upstairs. So that was going well, and I was just like, hey, you know, we're, we're doing all right. I still need to work another job. But if I really want to make this thing work, I gotta go all in. I gotta make it full time, and I need to get the f out of Erie, where there's nobody. Were you in downtown Erie? Uh, close, yeah. not even. Yeah, I used close. to live there. I used to live right off the highway in Erie. So. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking not about. Not a lot there. <laughs> uh, it's Pleasantville over there. It's a beautiful neighborhood. My neighbors were great. They fully supported me. My my one neighbor let me, you know, uh, poach their Wi-Fi. To start, because I couldn't even I couldn't even afford internet back then. You know, I was poaching my neighbor's Wi-Fi, and yeah. she was cool. Thanks, Ange. Um, shout out to Ange. Shout out to Ange. <laughs> so I I just knew I had to move to Denver. Yeah. You know, I needed the bigger market. I need to start doing these events and promoting the company, and and just we're B two B. So I needed I needed that that demographic and the availability to that demographic. So. Moved to Denver, uh, what's now Mockery Brewing, which is also a great customer of mine to this day. But that was in in, in Five Points, Rhino. There was nothing there. There was okay. no source, I no industry. Up, I used to think that you were up there. And, there and was why? nothing there. You were up there at one point. That was it. There yeah. was Ink Monster and a couple bars and, yeah. you know. A bunch of factory or warehouses. And, and some furniture warehouses. And that's pretty much it. So that, that, that was the turning point. That was, you know, getting that building and being in Denver and, and really letting this city know that we exist and we're here and we're ready to take over the world. And, and uh, after that, it, it just started to skyrocket from there. And, and the events I produced, you know, we produced Denver's first beach parties. We did the Sticky Situation art shows. We did, you know, the free concerts. All our events were, you know, free admission, free everything you know you can drink you can have fun you can eat you know you watch a performance the art shows were free the pool parties were free everything was to give back to the community and build awareness that we're here people didn't even know what we did right They're like ink monster i was like oh these guys make t-shirts what, what do they do <laughs> i have no idea oh yeah i heard of your company what do you guys do i have no idea right but they knew the name and that was building awareness must do something with ink i don't know something we have no idea <laughs> And then, and then we got kicked out of Rhino because it just we couldn't afford to be there anymore. I tried to buy the building that we were in there, way overpriced. We were there for five years, and that's when the neighborhood really started to explode. And you know that that uh, I searched for a new property for two years almost, 
And uh, that's how we landed. It was such a blessing. That's how we landed this building. I couldn't have asked for a better place to, to land. This Why is, is that? this is our home. This is our headquarters. It was a it was a blank canvas. Okay. It was a blank canvas. We got to build out the entire interior the way we wanted it. You know, looking down the road, where's this business going to be in five more years? Where's this business going to be in ten years? What do we need to build now to make it successful then? Other than your uh, stockbroking experience, did you have business experience per se? Or did you go to school for business? Or No, I dropped out of college. Uh, it just wasn't for me. I was more of a, a workhorse. I was more of the type of guy who wanted to be in the workplace. And uh, from uh, from about the age, I mean, I had my first job when I was 11. Yeah. Been working ever since. When I, By the time I was 17, I had some really good mentors that just saw this kid that was on fire, just wanted to make money, wanted to be successful, would do whatever it takes. So they took me under their wing and, you know, that was my college. You know, I, I had a lot of great jobs that these people kind of, I, I learned a lot of what to do and what not to do from a lot of different bosses sure. and mentors. So um, as the years went on, I just kind of learned from other business owners and other managers and, you know, that's where my education was, was in the workforce. So I, two, I have two questions on that. One is to grow Ink Monster, um, just to kind of take us back. Sure. You, you, you lived in a van in Aspen and started with rent, with borrowing or renting uh, equipment from a buddy that, yeah. to yeah. make stickers. Yeah. And then you got an apartment, so mm -hmm. you had a roof over your head yes. and you had a door, so you had a little bit bigger facility that you're able to print from. Mm -hmm. um, then you moved to Erie mm -hmm. and you had a house in Erie, uh, or space in Erie, and then moving to Rhino, a bigger space that you could build. How did you, during that transition and then coming here, uh, how did you continue to get clients? Was that through the parties that you threw, or what was the primary I mean, you know, way to find new clientele? It's a great question. I, I saw a void in my industry. It was very old school, very traditional. Everybody was doing things the same way. You know, please tell me how many shops like mine have you heard of before? I mean, you have your Kinkos and this and that, but there, there was no, and, and I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. Uh, I'm doing things that other industries have done to be successful, but it hasn't been done in my industry yet. Right, sure. And what that was, yeah, the parties built awareness. What I was trying to do was create an artistic lifestyle brand out of something that's never been done before. And I was like, I even said to myself, is this even possible? Are people even going to care, you know, about a print shop? Are they going to wear my, my T-shirt? They put my decals and their, my stickers on their car, their laptops, like... Are they going to make a connection with my brand? Right, right. Because we're not a lifestyle brand. We're not a clothing company. We're not an eyewear company or a beverage company. We're a print shop, <laughs> right? <laughs> Are people going to care? Right, right. I'll give it a shot anyway, right? Let's see what happens. So I wanted to make, but I wanted it to, the art, it's all about the art and the creativity. And that's something that nobody in my industry was focusing on was the creative aspect. They were just making stuff to build other people's brands. Right. But what they didn't do, and they have all the tools and the equipment and the resources to do everything at cost to build their own brand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know how much money you save when you do it yourself and <laughs> yeah. you have everything? It's great and it, it just allowed me to, again, express my creativity, you know, uh, flex what, you know, I thought was my artistic skill, 
was uh, trying to build this lifestyle brand. So it wasn't really the parties that brought us business. Yeah, it was. It, it helped us get our name out there. To this day, we've never had a salesperson. You know, we have full-time social media marketing staff. Now we're doing ads, you know, and, and, and a lot of digital marketing, mm-hmm. SEO stuff. We do it all in-house. We don't trust anybody else to do it but us. But to this day, we have always been a word-of-mouth referral business. So I've, another thing my industry didn't do well was quality. Right. Because there was no industry standard. It was, yeah, uh, we'll make this. They'll pump it out. It's crappy. It's garbage. And this is what you get because this is the industry standard. And everybody does it that way. Because wow. it's a really tight margin business and it's really competitive. So in order for people to be successful and make money, they had to cut corners and make up margin anywhere they could. They had to be able to save money in every part of the, in every stage of the project right and with your so, with your industry I know like if you if you're printing a big banner or something for somebody and it comes out wrong that's trash like you can't reuse yeah, that no you right? can't and, so. and and that's the thing so that's why I wanted to be the Rolex of our industry I wanted to be the high-end high quality we don't cut corners you get what you pay for. You know what you're going to get when you come to us. Don't even bother coming to us if you want the cheap, dirty, fast. I was going to say, you don't compete on cost then. We don't compete on cost because we have to know our value. And at first, I had a million people trying to get me to change my business model. It's not going to work. Nobody wants to pay that. Everyone's complaining about how expensive you are. Everyone's, you know, I was like, listen. I'm not budging on this. There's nobody else doing what we're doing. We are going to focus on quality. We're going to focus on being the best. It's the harder path. It's more difficult. (laughs) You know, it... it, it, But it's the right path. But it's the the right thing to do. Everybody was just pumping out garbage. And you had no other choices. That was it. You know? So that's when... We started getting the attention of, of marketing agencies and bigger brands, you know, through local reps. I, I definitely, I can't lie, definitely utilized my connections in the snowboarding world and the action sports world. Absolutely. You know, beverage companies, eyewear companies, started meeting, meeting local reps, regional reps, marketing managers, things like that. Uh, they didn't just give me a shot because I was their friend. You know, they did, but they still have higher ups to answer to. And if I didn't put out you know, a quality product, right. I still, I wouldn't get their business friend or no friend. Right. 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 And, and, and that's, you know, I, I utilized those relationships. I worked my tail off, made sure that everything was top notch, high quality, crisp resolution, best materials. You know, the installations is really where, you know, your, your, your work shows because that's what everybody sees. They don't yeah. see the behind the scenes. They see when the, the final product. Right. Right. So, you know, spending a lot of extra effort and time and, you know, super attention to detail uh, just with the installations and, yeah, you know, it costs more to do it right. And somebody tells their friend and, 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 and just the referral business and word of mouth business is really where uh, we've grown strictly on word of mouth wow, all fantastic. these years. I think that's a really good point of, as far as business, like a business that grows strictly on word of mouth means that you're doing something right. because more and more people recommend you every time you do a job and it comes out fantastic. So they're going to recommend you to their friends or their business colleagues or whatever. And, and without having to go out and push sales on people where it's like the quality of the work shows for itself, stands for itself. They also know what they're going to get. 
You know, when somebody refers Ink Monster, they're not saying, hey, go to Ink Monster. They're the cheapest guy out there, and they do good work. They're like, well, you're going to pay a little bit more. You know, they were more expensive than their competitor, but man, the work was amazing. Right, you know, they did right. such a great job. You know, they managed the project well. They, you know, they, they worked with us every step of the way. You know, the, the prints came out great. The install came out great. You know, and, and that's and that's kind of what I'm shooting for. You yeah, know, so, yeah. you know, not budging. I'm so glad I didn't budge because I had so many people trying to get me to, to change wow. my business model in the beginning. And I just always go with my gut, always go with my instincts. And, um, that's what I did then. I just knew that I knew that I had to set the bar higher because nobody else was. Sure. Was there a time when your instincts were wrong? <laughs> of course. <laughs> give us one. Yeah. Of the, give us an example. So, what I like to ask uh, is something that uh, was overcome, and and you admitted it early on that you take you took the hard road. You knew you took the hard road. Give give me a challenge that that you overcome came. Oh man, there's challenges every day. Um, <laughs> It's a great question. I guess one of the main challenges that I still have to overcome to this day is training my staff. There's really no legitimate school for what we do. Even, and my gripe with design schools is they don't really teach real world application. Sure. They don't teach the manufacturing part. When, you know, when a designer makes something, customer or anybody who you're making that design for eventually is going to want to make something tangible out of it. Yeah. You know, t-shirts, trade show booth, promotional products, business cards, letterheads, yeah. a sign for their building. Um, it's not just a logo that goes up on a website, you know, so that's really one of my gripes. But anyway, um, <laughs> they, they, I have to train everybody from scratch here. So, you know, we, we have a really great internship program. We work with all the schools in Colorado, uh, every single school. You know, we're a preferred internship for designers or people who want to go into production or learn how to be installers or whatever it is. But um, that's the most challenging part. I picked a business that I don't have a pool of educated students coming to look for jobs. Right. So uh, that's a really, really difficult thing when, you know, you're growing uh, or, you know, people move on to other jobs and there's turnover in, in business and, and employment, constantly having to, to train people okay. and, and find people who understand the level and expectations I need them to be at. Right. I have a certain reputation. I didn't work for the past 13 years to build this high quality you know, name brand reputation uh, to have other people come in and not understand that everything has to be perfect. Like the detail, you know, like everything has to be exactly the way the customer wants it. And yeah. um, that's that's the biggest challenge, I think, is keeping the level of quality consistent, you know, as we grow in scale and, and become a bigger company. Earlier I said I had two questions. My second question then would be, um, how did you transition from? Uh, oh, well, first off, what kind of, how many? How big is your staff at this point? We're thirteen now. Okay, so you have we, thir thirteen yeah. employees, or we've actually been as many as sixteen. But I think we're just getting way more efficient at what we do. Sure. And uh, we didn't. We're, we're doing more business with less people. 
which has been also a business model of mine. So I could pay less people more money right. instead of pe- paying more people less, less money. money. Yeah, no. That's, so that's that's the idea. Yeah. How did you make that transition, or how are you making that transition? Now you're a small to going well, going yeah. into a medium sized company as far as like a, uh, an independent business. Mm-hmm. How are you making that transition from stockbroker, snowboarder, instructor? You know, you start out doing all of the printing, and then you start bringing people in to help you with that project. Now you're more of a business leader than a person working in the trenches. How do you make that transition? Well, I haven't. <laughs> I'm still the business leader. I'm still running the plays. You know, it's it's the life of a small business owner. I stay in the trenches with my staff. I'm in production, constantly working with them, doing quality control, just checking in on all my employees, making sure they're doing things a certain way. Uh, I was working in the sew shop the other day. You know, I'm, I'm constantly communicating with my designers and my project managers and my, my, my marketing people. And I'm not a hands-off owner. Okay. You know, until I find, you know, a general manager that can run this place the way I do and stick to the level of my expectations, I got to be in it myself. So, you know, luckily I don't have a wife or kids or, uh, you know, other things pulling me away from this business. You know, um, I'm a big Shark Tank fan and uh, there was a quote on that show, you know, if you want to have a life, don't start a business. Okay. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> you know, I think uh, Robert Herjavec said that. And uh, it's true, you know, to, to get it to where you want to be, you have to make a lot of sacrifices. And part of that is, like, I work 16-hour days sometimes still. You know, two, three times this week I've worked a 16-hour day because i got to do all my business leadership stuff, you know, look at forecasting and projections and, you know, figuring out how to get the business to the next level, doing business development, client relations, like doing everything training staff, but I'm still in the pits, you know, I'm going on installs, training staff members, uh, you know, we had some big installs last week, we had some really big projects going on right now, and, you know, I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty and dive in with the crew and, yeah. and, and get the orders out the door and make the customers happy, that's that's just part of it, so, so I can't really like, say I've fully made that transition yet. So in some ways you're still snowboarding during the day and printing up stickers at night. Pretty much. <laughs> Except now it's, uh, you know, Big doing production during the day and doing business development at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah I feel you. Yeah. And so so this is an arts podcast, and I know I appreciate earlier you, you talked about, like, snowboarding being an art and the yeah. art of stickers. And what I was really drawn to when we talked a few weeks ago was the big pieces that you had and you had told about that project and you also talked about some of the artistic stuff that Ink Monster has been involved in. Mm -hmm. Would you talk a little bit more about how you're you're connected to the arts community? Sure. So uh, I kind of elbowed my way into it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wasn't invited. I kind of just uh, invited myself. So again, I wanted to create this artistic lifestyle brand, but at the same time, you know, we're not selling consumer products. We're, we're B2B, right? We're working with companies and businesses, uh, all different industries, every season, all year round. And how do I educate people on what we do? Yeah. How do I, because that's one thing people have no idea about, is really what's possible. How do we utilize the materials and the equipment we have to be artistic and help build other people's brand identity? Because that's what it's really all about, right? for what we do anyway. So, again, I I just 
that's my art. That's my creativity is is being unique on how I accomplish those goals. So I have these materials that I want to help people uh, use to, to grow their brand and use on a commercial basis. How do I educate people on what this what's possible with this stuff? Because every time I show somebody, they go, oh, wow, that's that's <laughs> awesome. All right, well, how do I do this? So everyone has an art show. Everyone's created an art show. It's been done a million times, a million right. different ways. Absolutely. So how do I make a unique art show? It's Everything's been done already. Well, um, I got this, this, you know, 3M building wrap material. It's meant for exterior buildings and doing signage, you know. You know, you see that all over Vegas, right? And uh, what do I do here? So I'm like, I'm going to make an art show out of this stuff. So I started, and, and you know, being Denver, being Denver local, there's a lot of amazing artists in this town. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been lucky enough to um, meet and hang out and befriend a lot of them, and it's, it's been great. I appreciate a lot of their work. And I just invited them, create a piece for my show, whatever medium you want to work in. Well, you know, if it's, it's something that needs to be scanned uh, and, and, and blown up, high res, we can do that. That shows our, you know, creative department, our design department, and the skills they can do. I decided to make my, like, uh, my art gallery an alleyway in between buildings. Okay. Because we couldn't afford anything else. Right. <laughs> right. So I curated alley, an alleyway and swept it up, hung lights, laid down uh, some carpet, you know, you know, Red Bull's always been super supportive of all my events with product and structures and financially supporting my events. So they'd come in and help with some of the expenses. And um, we basically applied the art to the sides of the buildings, the brick, the brick walls to make it look like graffiti art. Okay. But this way it's, it's vinyl, it's digitally printed, uh, the material is heat melted into the brick, so it gives it that texture of the surface, so it looks like paint. Yeah. And that was my quote-unquote urban art gallery. Wow, that's cool. alleyways. When so, did you do that? Yeah, the first one was, uh, I think, 2009 or 10. Was that in Rhino? That was, uh, well, the first one was at what used to be the old Wiseco Motors building, I think on Park and Broadway. Okay. So that was actually indoors. In there, it was a a, um, a classic car showroom, high-end car showroom. We got to move all the cars out of that warehouse, and, and the whole thing was made of brick. Okay. So we used those walls. The second year, it was at Exto Event Center in the alleyways in between their buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, we did it in New York in Staten Island in an alleyway there. That was an awesome one. We had a couple thousand people at that one. So That's now it's good. starting to grow. Like the right. first one, uh, maybe 100, 200 people showed up. Within three years, we were getting 1,000 plus people showing up to these things, and they were getting bigger, and we couldn't find alleyways to uh, big enough to curate to accommodate that many people. That's when we started uh, bringing it to art galleries and doing it inside. Okay. Uh, invite only, you know, I, I would select artists, you know, people that I got to interact with, people who'd come to us, you know, to, to work with Ink Monster, or just people we knew around town and invite only, create work, uh, again, free show, come support your local artists, you know, yeah. check out their work yeah. and learn about all the cool, creative, innovative things that Ink Monster can, can do. We even did it for Art Basel a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, so cool. that was really, really awesome. That was like a week festival. Um, we had 
tens of thousands of people coming through. We had artists from all over the world invited. Where um, in Basel? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. I partnered with uh, some really great, uh, pretty much the guys who produced most of the events in Wynwood and uh, Basel and things like that. Swarm Agency, these guys. Wow. You know. Shout out to Tony and Javi. Tony and Javi. Tony and Javi. All right. This guy's the <laughs> do you, are you still doing the show today? Is this an annual show? Do you still put it on? Or? So, yeah, we do. It's, it's been, uh, man, over seven, eight years now since we've been doing this thing. About seven years. And uh, it's great. Uh, we partnered with Breckenridge Brewery this year. Uh, they loved it. They The past two years, they've been a huge supporter financially to put on this show. Um, so they loved it so much that they actually took it on a 12-city nationwide tour wow. this year. Yeah. So it's just finishing up, and uh, we'll be looking to curate our next show in Denver sometime soon. So we, we've never really done it in the same place multiple times. We've, we're always switching locations. It's never the same. It it's never the, really the same time yeah. of year. It's around the same time of year. But again, you know, we're a print shop. We're right. not an event <laughs> production company. So it depends on how busy we are and when we can fit it into our schedule. But you know, and it takes it puts a lot of extra time and effort and pressure on my staff because you know they all put in all that extra work for free. You know, they just do it because they love it and uh, they get to be in the show and it helps promote their own personal artwork. Sure, and, sure. Um, so it's a team effort, we get it done. Uh, we plan on doing it again this year. About what time frame? In the spring, fall, summer? Well, because of the, the nationwide tour this year, I think we're gonna be looking to change seasons because uh, we're just finishing up this tour and um, we might be looking at spring, you know, maybe some, some better weather <laughs> and uh, <laughs> You know, finding more of a, um, you know, maybe it's something that's at, you know, the, uh, the you know, uh, sculpture park or, right. you know, something different. something different, you know, yeah. that's the hard part is always keeping it creative and keeping it different. What advice would you have for someone starting out? This has been a really good interview about business and, and tying in the business acumen and how to grow a business. And I think that's one thing, especially artists lack you know they've got this beautiful creative mind that can create things that are just unbelievable but then how to turn that into a successful business so that's why I really appreciate you taking the time yeah. but what advice would you have for someone who's who's starting out or has a passion that they're really passionate about well it, it is true you know artists definitely use a certain side of their brain um, and business people use a different side of their brain <laughs> you know and there are very very few unique individuals out there in the world that know how to use both sides of their brain like that and turn their passion or their creativity or their artwork into a living and actually make money out of it. Um, it's not selling out. You know, a lot of artists, I hear that a lot from artists. Well, you know, if I sell my art or this, I'm selling out and I'm not keeping it real. Well, do you want to be hungry? You want to keep it real? You <laughs> right, want a roof over right. your head or you want to keep it real? Right. To me, keeping it real is being successful at what you love doing, at what your passion is, right? And is this what you want to do the rest of your life? Well, then, you know, you got to learn how to monetize your, your passion and your creativity. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to get to do it anymore because you're going to have to put a roof on your head and put food. It's just the world we live in. Right. Unfortunately, money matters. Yeah. You know, yeah. money doesn't create happiness, but it creates the freedom for you to do whatever you want. Like, what do you want in life? What makes you happy? 
I think that's so, an important point. If I just sure, interject, you said money doesn't create happiness, but it creates the life that you can live to further your happiness and 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 really live a fulfilled life. And to that point, we we're talking earlier how you left the stockbroker world where you were making a lot of money, spending a lot of money, but miserable. <laughs> it was super fun though. <laughs> you, you came out to, to Colorado and I'm sure you weren't making a lot of money as a ski bum or a no, snowboard bum. No, not at all. But now you're at a place where... But happier than I've ever been. Yeah, 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 exactly. You're at a place now where you're able to travel the world and go surfing yeah. and travel the world and go snowboarding yeah. and do these other things that money allows you to do right. that if you were just like, I'm just going to be a ski bum or a snowboard bum or whatever, like you would be stuck at that place. I'd still have six roommates living in a house in Vail, yeah. you know, living paycheck to paycheck, wishing that I could travel the world to go snowboarding and travel the world to go surfing and, you know, fly my, my friends and family out to come visit me. And, you know, I, I can't even tell you the opportunities and people I've met over the years because of Ink Monster. Yeah. You know, like I got to go to the MTV Music Awards recently uh, because we did a big project for them. That's great. You know, I get to meet famous actors and musicians and world-renowned artists. And, uh, you know, just uh, it's given me the opportunity to make a difference in my community. Now I'm involved in a lot of local government uh, and work with, you know, the you know lo local Denver City agencies, the mayor's office and downtown Denver partnership and arts and venues and uh, I'm on a, a board for for uh, uh, the governor so th these these doors have opened to create opportunity for me to, to change and make a difference in my community and what I want to see in Denver so you know things that did I ever think that you know the mayor and I would be on a first name basis and I'd be on a board of directors for for him, and and you know doing all these different things. But no, not in a million years. Yeah. But because of the fact that I wanted to monetize my passion and make a business out of it, and stick with it and grow it to the point where now I have influence. Now I have the opportunity to change from within and change the things around me from within. Right. Change myself, of course. <laughs> but, like, you know, uh, make a difference in the city I live in. Right, And right. when, you know, I want to get something done or need to make something happen, I can just make a phone call or write an email, and those people respond to me. Yeah, I think that's pretty important. And well. and uh, it's, it's now, you know, almost a decade and a half later, it's like, wow. You know, this this is it's gotten to the point where it's 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 next level stuff. It's it's bigger picture stuff. It's not just okay. You know, I just want to put food on the table. Now it's okay. You talked about how okay the, the original question: how to monetize artists' work, right? How do artists sure. make money? Well, I speak with artists all the time. This is what you can do. You're super talented. You have amazing artwork. These are what your originals are going for. And then I try and educate them on how to, you know, open an online store and, you know, make different products, you know, some merchandise with that. Because not everyone can afford your $5,000 piece or your $10,000 piece. Right, right. You know, how many of those do you sell a year? Well, if you do reproductions on T-shirts and apparel and whatever, coffee mugs or, you know, canvas reproductions, G-clay prints, poster prints, sign them, number them. You know, there's a million different products that you'll make 
so much more money selling all that other stuff and build awareness to your originals. Yeah. So the guy who can afford your $10,000 piece, let's just say that's what it cost, he's never heard of you. Well, if you're building your SEO and you're selling all this merchandise with your artwork on it, you're doing all this, all you're doing is building your own brand awareness. Yeah. And then so the guy who can afford or the girl who can afford your piece, now they know who you are and they're gonna reach out and you're gonna sell that piece too. Right. Right. So it's just finding all these different outlets for you to take advantage of your talent in your situation. To wrap up, one thing that I like to ask is is go back to that. You said you were 24 when you moved out here. Yeah. Go back to that 24-year-old <clears throat> uh, self or even maybe the 20-year-old <laughs> self. What piece of advice would you give to him knowing what you know today? As much of a risk taker that I am and has always been, take more risk. Take more risk. Uh, be less afraid to take risk. I, you know, be more outgoing. Try more things. You know, uh, I don't know if I read it somewhere or someone told this to me, but to find out, because I feel like a lot of kids today, and I, I do talks at elementary schools and high schools and colleges. And, um, and society says, you have to know what you want to be in high school because that's what you want to go to college for. <laughs> right. And then you have to know what you want the next 40 years of your life to look like. Right. You're a freaking kid. <laughs> You're 17 yeah. years old. You're 18 years old. You don't know. And, it, and society doesn't allow people to make mistakes. It doesn't allow people to try different things. It doesn't allow people to really find out who they really are. I yeah. didn't find out who I really was till I was in my late 20s, early yeah. 30s. Yeah. You know, then I really f figured out what I want in life and what makes me happy. But we're forced to move it and it's just a traditional way of looking at things. We live in a different culture and society. What worked, you know, for our parents and grandparents isn't working for for us now. Absolutely. So I would say do a lot of different things and and give it time, right? You got to try, you know, 10 different careers or 10, go, go do 20 different internships, go travel the world and look at different things in different countries and see, and go, you know, do volunteer work and do different jobs and, you know, get paid for it, don't get paid for it, whatever your situation is. But to find your path, what's going to help you get there is not being afraid to do a bunch of things that you may or may not like. Because then you know, I don't want to do this. Yeah. You find out what you don't like. You, so finding <laughs> out what you don't like and don't want to do and all the experiences you learned are going to help you on your path to what you want to be in life and what you want to be when you grow up, sure, right? Sure, So um, I just feel like people, you know, in this day and age, everybody wants something instant. Mm -hmm. They want it to happen now. They have no patience. They don't want to see yeah. it through. It's yeah. just, I want to be successful now. Great. Well, you know, I don't regret anything I've done in life. Maybe one or two things here. <laughs> but, but for the most part, whether it's been successes, failures, mistakes, wish I woulda, coulda, woulda, shoulda, whatever it is, every one of those life situations was preparing me to be where I'm at now. Sure. 
You know, everything I learned then, every job I had, I learned something different. Every manager I had, I learned something different. Every boss, every whatever it was in life, I learned from those wins, those losses, those successes, those failures, and I still utilize everything I've learned from all those different situations yeah. pre-Ink Monster, you know, before I started Ink Monster, I think when I was, uh, yeah, about 30, 29, 30. You know, I hear so many people like they're they're 22, 24, 27. And they're like, man, you know, like they're so they beat themselves up because they, you know, they feel that society's pressure that they have to know what they want to be in life. They have to know now. And I get, I, I see it mostly from you know the the high school kids and and freshmen and sophomores in college. You know, they're just like they feel so much pressure to have to know what their entire life path is going to look like. Like man, take the pressure off. Like, and your, and your path might change by the time you're thirty. It might change when you're forty. It might change when man, you're fifty. Man, mine's changed so many times, <laughs> yeah. and I and I ended up in a place that. Man, you said, "Where's Reed when he was twenty? What does he look like? What would you say to him?" I had, I never thought that this is what my life would look like. Sure, sure. What's uh, what's coming up for Ink Monster? Uh, what, what kind of things do you have planned for the next, rest of the year or for next oh, year? Oh man, I mean, I, I, I can't disclose a lot. <laughs> Anything but, you can share with us? Um, all I would say is, you know, keep following us on the internet. Uh, we got a great YouTube channel. You know, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we got a lot of really awesome projects coming up. Um, some of the biggest ones we've ever done in the company's history with some really great companies, uh, some really cool artistic projects. Uh, we probably manage um, over 100, 125 projects at a time. Wow. And, um, you know, we've been, man, I'm really excited. We've been working on stuff that will be some of the biggest, most creative, artistic installations Denver has ever seen. Ooh, and exciting. And it, it's really exciting. <laughs> I wish I could talk about yeah, it. That's cool. Um, so you did mention following, so I just want to throw that out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Ink Monster is spelled without the E. I-N-K-M-O-N-S-T-R. Right. And so I'm sure if Google, like I found you right away, if you just Google Ink Monster, drop the E at the end. Yep. You'll come up everywhere on all over the social medias. and Your website comes up, inkmonster.com. Yes. Without the E. Correct. So people can check you out and find you online and suggest, yeah, definitely follow these guys. And from the little tidbits that Reed has given us, Got some big stuff coming up next well, year. Well, and that's the thing, you know, it goes back to if I would have changed the way I saw things back then and not gone to be set out to be the the more artistic, the more creative, the more high quality company, we wouldn't be getting these projects right now. Yeah. You know, these yeah. people wouldn't be coming to us and saying, you know, this is our budget, we want to make this happen, this is gonna be uh, I wish I could talk about it, but like one of the, <laughs> well, in my opinion, one of the sickest installations Denver has ever seen. You know, we wouldn't get these opportunities. Yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, you know, look out for some big things in 2018 That's because awesome. uh, we've been working on this stuff for a long time. Well, Reed, I really appreciate your yeah, time. Thank you. I appreciate you letting me uh, come on your show. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. The music for this episode of the Crave Podcast is Monster Breaks by Monster Scratch. Check this and more music out by Monster Scratch on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash monsterscratch. Thank you for listening to the Crave Magazine Podcast. 
I am Jim Wills, your host and producer for this episode, and I am on a mission to bring art back to the world. And with your help, we can make that happen. So please take a moment to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. And if you like what you heard, even more importantly, tell your friends. If there's something that we can do better, by all means, let us know. And if you are an artist or even just want to hear from a favorite artist, well, send us a message. We are putting this show out for all of us who love and appreciate the arts. So tell us how we can improve. Remember, always be good to one another. And of course, take time to feed your soul with art.